This episode is brought to you by Choiceology, an original podcast from Charles Schwab. Hosted by Katie Milkman, an award-winning behavioral scientist and author of the best-selling book, How to Change, Choiceology is a show about the psychology and economics behind our decisions. Hear true stories from Nobel laureates, authors, athletes, and everyday people about why we do the things we do. Listen to Choiceology at schwab.com slash podcast or wherever you listen. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I regret not keeping in touch with friends after college. I regret not being more patient with my aging parents. I regret never learning how to drive a manual car. I regret not dancing with my mother at my wedding. Welcome to How To. I'm Amanda Ripley. Those are just some of the regrets that my colleagues at Slate have. And what about you? Do you have regrets? Is it a path not taken? A bakery you never started, a language you didn't learn, or maybe it's a boyfriend you ghosted, or a grieving coworker you really should have reached out to and didn't. It turns out that regret is one of the most common and most misunderstood emotions in the human experience, which means a missed opportunity. Because regret, if handled better, can lift you up rather than drag you down. Our listener today came to us with a laundry list of woulda, coulda, shouldas, and she knew that there had to be a better way. You know, it's funny. Um, my husband and I went on a little date, and on the way to the restaurant, I said, do you do this? I, I said, I wake up at 4 a.m. in a panic. I, I can't stop beating myself up. How could you have done this and this and this and this and the other thing and lost touch with so-and-so and never called so-and-so? And there's always something. And of course, he said, no, not really. <laughs> I had no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> this is Courtney. She's an opera singer, a classical soprano, for all of you wondering, and teaches voice at Vassar. Happy to be on this podcast with you because I'm so full of many types of regrets. Would you say that your regrets, the ones that are on rotation at 4 a.m., have they changed over time or are there some that just keep coming back? Sometimes it's just um, practical things. Um, I remember when I was 14, oof, I went on a mission trip to Haiti and I met a teenage girl who would walk a mile to go play the piano in a, in a church. And I remember coming home and thinking, oh, I'm so inspired. And here I am, I have a piano in my home, I have lessons and, um, you know, what I take for granted. I'm going to get on there and really do it. And, but I, I really didn't. I mean, I practiced just enough sort of to get by. But as far as sitting down and sight reading a song out of the 24 Italian songs and arias, it's always a little clunky. And I'm always so angry with myself because now my brain is not as malleable as it once was. It's the same with, with language, learning a language and as a classical singer, you have to be proficient in a number of languages. 
So it sounds like if I'm reading between the lines, your regret about not learning a language or getting more um, proficient at the piano is less to do with sort of the practical benefits, although that's in there, right, for your career. Um, but it sounds like there's something else, like you just wish you'd sort of done more? Well, the biggest thing, honestly, with both of those is is that there is just so much pleasure and satisfaction with being able to sit down and and play Mendelssohn or um, you know whatever you're working uh, on it 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 feels so good it, it's so satisfying. We'll get into some of Courtney's bigger life-altering regrets later, but for now it's safe to say that she isn't alone. Eight out of ten Americans experience regret at least occasionally, according to new research by our expert today, Daniel Pink. Dan has written five New York Times best-selling books, and for his new book, The Power of Regret, he invited people to send him their regrets. Well, they shared 18,000 of them from over 100 countries. As it turns out, there are universal laments that most of us share. People have the same four core regrets, and your regrets are actually somewhat consistent with that. On today's show, Dan's going to reveal those four core regrets and teach us how to start to convert regret into wisdom. Don't go anywhere. This episode is brought to you by Defender. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. This iconic vehicle has been redefined with thoroughly modern design. The exterior is reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing, and the interior is built with robust materials and integrity. The Defender capability is legendary, whether you're facing off road challenges or harsh weather conditions. Built for the modern explorer, the Defender 110 lets you go further and do more. And cargo capacity means more room for your gear. To drive the Defender is to explore with greater confidence. Powerful innovations like the intuitive driver display and award-winning infotainment system keep you connected. Innovative camera technologies deliver unobstructed views and effortless maneuvering. Ready for a wide range of adventures, the Defender family features the two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, and the Defender 130, which seats up to eight. A vehicle made to go further, the Defender 110. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. This episode is brought to you by Choiceology, an original podcast from Charles Schwab. Choiceology is a show all about the psychology and economics behind our decisions. Each episode shares the latest research in behavioral science and dives into themes like, can we learn to make smarter decisions and the power of do-overs? The show is hosted by Katie Milkman. She's an award-winning behavioral scientist, professor at the Wharton School, and author of the best-selling book, How to Change. In each episode, Katie talks to authors, historians, athletes, Nobel laureates, and everyday people about why we make irrational choices and how we can make better ones to avoid costly mistakes. Listen and subscribe at schwab.com slash podcast, or find it wherever you listen. If there's an anthem about living with no regrets, it's probably this song by singer Edith Piaf. Edith Piaf had a song called Je ne regrette rien. I regret nothing. And it became this blockbuster song. It saved her career when she was in her 40s. Uh, she sang it to incredible acclaim. Uh, and she died uh, three years later. 
haunted by regrets. Mm. On her deathbed, she said, every damn thing in life you have to pay for. Um, and she led actually a pretty miserable life. I mean, it was just a complete And she mess. died young, right? Didn't um, she? She died in her 40s. A total, total tragedy. And yet that song is still an anthem. You, you, hear, it in, you hear it in car commercials. Right. But it's, it's a sign that we want to believe that we should never look backward, that we should always be positive. And um, that's ridiculous. You know, I, I admit, as you know, I got people in this book who have no regrets tattooed on their bodies. Yeah, I love how you opened with yeah. that. You just took the exact yeah. extreme. But then I got a guy later in the book who, who has his no regrets tattoo removed because he realizes he has regrets. <laughs> <laughs> Most people over or under index on regrets, Dan says. And that's our first mistake. You know, when we have regrets... We often have two choices that are kind of bipolar. One of them is to ignore our regrets and say, I don't know, I never look backward. I have no regret, you know, sort of have that kind of empty-headed philosophy of no regrets. And the other one is actually in some ways to over-identify with them, to take them too seriously, to wallow in them. And what you really want is something in between. Don't ignore them. Don't wallow in them. Confront them. Use them mm-hmm. as clarifiers and use them as instructors. And it seems, Courtney, unlike many people, you have not fallen prey to the no regrets ideology of never looking back. Um, In fact, you might be going a little too far in the other direction. (laughs) I agree. Yeah. There's something else I think that is sort of the, the backbeat of a lot of what you're saying, too, that goes to regret to some extent, but goes to one of the most important findings in social psychology over the last 50 years about maximizers and satisficers. One way to approach decision-making is say, I'm going to maximize every decision that I make. I'm going to get the best hamburger. I'm going to have the best roofer. I'm going to get the best car, all right? Maximize every decision. Other ways of doing things are satisficing. It's good enough. Mm. It's good enough, all right? And it strikes me, having known you for all of 10 minutes, it strikes me that you might be (laughs) maximizing on too many things. I think you're right. Here's what we know from just a so as incontrovertible as you a finding you can get in in human behavior, which is that maximizers in general are not happy. Mm. They're not happy <laughs> because because you can't maximize on everything. So in order to avoid being a miserable maximizer, you need to figure out how to prioritize. What in life is worth maximizing and what really isn't? This is where regrets can come in so handy. The four core regrets that Dan identified, they can act like a compass pointing us to what matters most. The first type of regret is called a foundational regret, which has to do with not planning ahead and thinking long-term. If only I'd done the work. Um, Those are people who regret smoking, who regret not taking care of their health, who regret not saving money, who regret doing things that create some instability in their lives. I think your piano regret is kind of, sort of, a foundation regret. The consequence of that is you have some professional wobbliness than you might want. Does that seem accurate? Yeah. Why do you say kind of, sort of, though? Because of the pleasure part? Well, well, because because you're very accomplished. Oh. oh, oh, yeah. So, so it's not a, so. So you know, I'm talking like a lot of these foundation regrets are people who are at age 45 have spent all their money and have no savings. You're in pretty good shape. You're just you. You feel like you could be in better shape in this one dimension. The second category of regrets are the boldness regrets. They're sort of the opposite of the foundational regrets. 
It's about regretting all the times we played it safe. If only I'd taken the chance. So they're at a juncture. They can play it safe or take a chance. They, they decide to take the chance. They decide to not take the chance, rather, and they end up regretting it. I don't see that with you. Uh, well, I, I remember, actually, um, when I went to, when I was about to finish grad school, and for me, a big step was telling my parents that I wanted to pursue a, a singing career, which was strange because I didn't know anyone who did this. I had no role models, really. And I was so nervous about telling them. And my dad said that he had gotten accepted to law school and didn't go. He went into business instead. And he had always wondered how that would have gone for him had he gone. So he said, if you don't pursue it now, you'll always regret. You'll always wonder. Hmm. He's right. That's great paternal advice. That's better paternal advice than I've ever given. So that's... <laughs> Me too. <laughs> you know, it's important to sort of see your whole life in context. And there are so many people out there who have regrets about not doing what you did. They're not saying, if I had pursued my, my, my painting career, I would be the next Picasso. They would say, no, I just don't know. I want to know what would have happened. I, I don't want to be dogged by that what if. Yes. The third category is the moral regret. If only I'd done the right thing. Like the 71-year-old woman who wrote into Dan saying that she used to steal candy bars from a corner store and she'd felt bad about it for 60 years. Finally, the fourth type might sound really familiar. It's connection regrets. If only I'd reached out. Oh my gosh, huge. That's definitely one of the big waker-uppers for me. Yeah. Uh, there was a wonderful, wonderful friend of mine who was elderly and a pianist coach down in Atlanta, and we would get together and have lunch and work on music. And um, at some point, you know, my life got really busy. And uh, anyway, I mean, you can see where this is going. Um, you know, she she passed away, and I had just really not kept in touch the way I wanted to. And, and that's, of course, that bothers me a lot. Yeah. So here's our first rule. If you find yourself dwelling on a missed opportunity ad nauseum, start by labeling it. Is it a foundational regret or boldness? Or maybe it's moral or connection. This gives you a clue as to what you might want to prioritize in the future. For most people, it's connection. And, yeah. and you said, Dan, is that the most common regret that you got? Yeah, that's the most common regret. And there are a lot of stories oh. like that. And, and it's interesting about the nature of relationships. It usually comes apart in profoundly undramatic ways. It just kind of drifts. You didn't have a rift with, with this person. Right. You didn't have a just falling fades. out. Yeah. yeah. And what happens is you say, oh, I should reach out. And then you say, oh, it's going to be awkward yeah. to reach out. Yeah. And then you, is that what happened with you, Courtney? Oh, yeah, a little bit. I mean, I think what for me, what happens is I... I delay for whatever reason. Usually it's just busyness or, or ha having an ADD kind of brain and, you know, trying to do too many things. Um, and then after a certain point, I feel guilty and I kind of, the guilt kind of like um, calcifies and it just gets worse and worse. And it's almost like I, <laughs> I'll never do it. I, I kind of curse myself. What we know is that if you try to avoid all of your future regrets, you're, it's not going to work. Right? You got right. to pick your shots. You have to maximize on what matters and satisfy on everything mm -hmm. else. For you, I think it's really these connection regrets that you really have to focus on. So, and there's a very simple maxim here, and it's been transformative for me, that if you are ever at a juncture where you're wondering, should I reach out or should I not reach out? Being at that juncture has answered the question for you. 
always reach mm-hmm. out. When in doubt, yeah. reach out. And what the research tells us very clearly is this, that when we fear awkwardness, we completely overstate how awkward we're going to feel. What's yeah. more is that we also fear that the other side won't care. And on mm-hmm. that, we're even more wrong. The other side <laughs> wants to hear from you. So if you're one of the many people who is haunted by connection regrets, this one's for you. When in doubt, reach out. I think that's brilliant because, um, you know, my gut tells me that's that's the one that bothers me the mm. most, mm. for sure. New friends, old friends, family, uh, connections with people, that's, that's what drives me more than anything. Mm. I'm curious, when you think about how to sort of rank order and prioritize which of these regrets to, to worry about and which to set aside, Dan, how do you do that? Where do you end up? A mix of connection and moral, mm-hmm. because one of my big regrets, which has really bugged me for a very long time, is that when I was when I was younger, my first 25 years of my life, I have a lot of regrets about kindness. Mm-hmm. There were other people being treated unfairly. Mm-hmm. And I knew that. I saw that. And I didn't do a damn thing. Mm-hmm. And that has really, really bugged me. So it's partly moral and it's partly connection. And so it's telling me something. What it's telling me, it's telling me what I value. It's surfacing yeah. that I value kindness more than I might have realized. Mm. And it's instructing me what to do, which is to be a kinder person. So, Oh, interesting. So instead of taking that feeling of shame or sadness and, right. and concluding that you are therefore an inherently bad person, you take it and conclude that this is a way in which you want to do better. Is that right? Absolutely right, Amanda. Regrets awesome. clarify what we value. That's our next rule. Dan says to think of your regrets as a kind of photo-negative of the life you'd like to live. Regret not keeping in touch with friends? That means you value friends. And then you can use that information the next time you have a decision to make. And if you're still not sure what to do, here's a little time travel trick you can try. Think about if you're placing a phone call to Courtney of 2032, all right? And you're asking her for advice, all right? You're doing something oh. called self-distancing. Okay. You're going her for her for advice. What's her advice going to be about reaching out? Oh, yeah, do it. Big time. Right. Do it, uh, do you especially th- if it's uncomfortable, do it. I think the Courtney <laughs> of 2032 knows what to do. Oh, gosh, that's so funny that you said that. That's so funny that you said that because I was just thinking, I was thinking... Dan, how the hell can I figure out what to maximize and what to satisfy? Is that how you said it? Satisf- um, when, when I just love everything and I want to do everything. And then I looked around my kitchen, which I'll spare you. I'm in my kitchen, but you're seeing the neat part. <laughs> the other side is, is like a hurricane hit. Um, I was thinking, what am I going to do for dinner? How, you know, what kind of dinner am I, I going to make? Um, I'm a little behind. I thought, you know what? Nobody really cares. My husband, no. he's really fine if I just the, the, say punt the, the dinner. Right. The, the, I'm telling you, I have, I've collected 18,000 regrets from people in more than 100 countries. No one, not one, exactly zero have regrets about having a messy kitchen. Zero. The Courtney of 2032 knows that. Right. So listen to her. That's our next rule. Ask what your future self would do or what you tell your best friend to do. Anything you can do to get some distance, that's the secret ingredient. 
When we come back, Dan is going to teach us how to silence the little regret gremlin in our mind that keeps waking us up in a panic at 4 a.m. Stay with us. Reboot your credit card with Apple Card, the only credit card designed for iPhone. It gives you up to 3% daily cash back on every purchase. Plus, Apple Card has no fees, not even hidden ones. Apply for Apple Card now in the Wallet app on iPhone. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval. Variable APRs for Apple Card range from 19.24% to 29.49% based on credit worthiness. Rates as of February 1st, 2024. Terms and more at AppleCard.com. We're back with Courtney and Dan Pink, author of The Power of Regret, How Looking Backward Moves Us Forward. Dan found an interesting paradox in his research. Only 1% of Americans never look back at their lives and wish they'd done something differently. And yet, as a society, we're constantly celebrating this idea of no regrets. You talked about this in the book, right? That, and I felt this in myself. There is this real resistance to admitting regrets. And, and I was trying no. to grapple with, why do I feel resistance? And I think it's because I've been thinking about it the wrong way. Like, I think about regret as being stuck in rumination and right. um, sort of not moving forward. But that's actually the opposite of what you're saying, right? That the way to move forward is by looking backwards. Bingo. I mean, that's exactly what it is. You know, I really believe that we haven't taught people how to properly deal with negative emotions. Yes. No one ever teaches oh us gosh. this. And we see this now with, with, with younger people who, you know, so, so they feel a negative emotion and they think, oh my God, what is wrong with me? Everybody else is so positive. Everybody else is doing so great. I must be broken. I must have something terribly wrong with me. And we just need a way of, of confronting it, that, that recognizing that negative emotions, particularly our most common negative emotion, which is regret, isn't a stranger to be ignored and isn't some menacing judge passing final judgment on our worth, but is simply a, a teacher. Yeah. For me, I learned this the hard way is, you know, um, someone I knew, I weren't, we weren't super close friends, but we were friends. And she sent an email to me and another friend and said that um, she had been diagnosed, diagnosed with breast cancer. And she was in her oh. 30s, she had little kids, and she had had it in her family. And so I immediately called her, you know, and I, was, and I emailed her back. And then the weeks went by, and the weeks went by. And in my head, I had this whole narrative. I was like, well, I don't want to bother her. I don't want to get in her way. And... You know, but eventually she wrote both me and my friend and said that she was really disappointed in us. Oh, my oh. God. That we had really not stepped oh. up, that she felt abandoned by us. Oh, oh, yeah. that's awful. And oh, it was really painful. And I was really glad that she told us. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. I mean, I can, yeah. we can get in our heads about these things and come up with all kinds of rationalizations yes. because we don't have the words or the rituals. Yeah. Yeah. That's not a good excuse. Totally. So I am glad that she told me because I've gotten better at this as a result. I had a friend who I worked with. He's older than I. Uh, several years ago, he passed away. And um, and I was, you know, bothered by that because I hadn't lost that many people who were, who were colleagues. And he had a funeral. And on the day of the funeral, I was just really, really busy. 
and I didn't go to the funeral and it still bugs me. And the funeral was like walking distance to my house and it still bugs me to that day. And, yeah, right. And so it's like, you know, always reach out, always go to the funeral. That's another good rule. Always go to the funeral. Overall, Dan's big advice is to reclaim your regrets, turn them into wisdom. And doing this starts with swapping out the voice in your head. I'm curious, Courtney, when you think about at 4 a.m. when you wake up with your regret, what does your self-talk sound like? How do you talk to yourself? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I mean, if, if rumination is like chewing on, on a thought, it's kind of like that. It's like I, I, I'm just grinding on it, um, kind of. But it's also like it's another voice kind of attacking me like a gremlin. Yeah. What does the gremlin say? What kind of words does the gremlin um, use? Oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, will I ever mm. break out of this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. get on top of it. Um, yeah. Am I ever going to call her? Am I ever going to write that note? Um, that's a big one. So one of the things that you see is is um, we tend to talk to ourselves in ways that are far more cruel and harsh uh, than we would ever talk to somebody else. Basically, what it says is this. First step, when you think about your own regrets, treat yourself with kindness rather than contempt. Hmm. Now, we fear that that would lead to complacency. Self-compassion research says absolutely not. Yeah. Um, so treat yourself with kindness rather than contempt. This is the surprise, right? Is the self-critical voice doesn't work. No. Mm-hmm. Self-criticism mm-hmm. is completely it's overrated. It like doesn't have the effect. I mean, do you, <laughs> which no, Dan, been, to be which honest, is, do you so, do this? Do you have a self-critical? All the time. <laughs> All the time, constantly. Like, what's an constantly. example in your day? Why should we listen to you? What's, well, because no. But here's the thing: I'm. I was like, I was a devout adherent of the Church of Self Criticism. Yes, amen, brother. When's a part a, a time in your day daily routine when you're self critical? Uh, exercise. Oh, tell me more. Oh, I'm not running fast enough. Okay. Come oh. on, you lazy ass. Let's go. <laughs> you're um, like the coach you know, that, yelling at you from the sideline. I'm like a bad coach from the 1970s who would have been fired today for abuse. <laughs> okay, so have you changed anything around that? And if so, how? Um, I have. Uh, so I've stopped yelling at myself for that. Um, and um, so what I've done, because I'm insane, is questioning myself in the third person or second person. So basically saying, can you do this? Can you run and faster? when I do... Can you do this? Can you finish this mile? Okay. And by putting it as an interrogative, for it, it engages me. It gives you more autonomy in a way, right? Because it's not yeah. you're being berated into doing something. It's like you're being asked. Yeah. Exactly. Courtney, I'm curious if you think about the gremlin voice in your head at 4 a.m. Oh, my God, I haven't done this. What if I never do this? What if I'm not good at this? Mm-hmm. What would the gremlin say if the gremlin were more compassionate? <laughs> Uh, oh, yeah. No, that's good. Um, it's funny. You're asking this question. It almost seems like a, such a self-evident question, like that's almost my job. obvious. But I, I, I have to tell <laughs> you, obvious I, it's never occurred to me to do this in all these years. Um, yeah, I guess I could talk back to the gremlin or, or make a nicer little, you know, sort of um, Glenda the good gremlin. Glenda the good yeah. the gremlin. I like that. When we have a negative emotion... Negative emotions are blobby and abstract and amorphous. When we convert them into words, either by talking about them or writing about them, we often make them more concrete and therefore less menacing. Mm-hmm. And that can begin the sense-making process. So, t- so, so one thing that you could do with a particular regret 
is instead of sort of general journaling, is you could take one of these regrets that you have and write about it for 15 minutes a day for three consecutive days. And there's some evidence that that um, can, can help out a lot. Um, that sounds really great. Uh, I'm going to try that. I love that idea. This is our last rule. If you find yourself ruminating about one particular regret over and over, try getting it outside of your own head. Write about it for just 15 minutes a day for three days in a row and see what happens. You know, I have so many loves. I mean, there were. I just gave you just a, a taste of the things I feel guilty about, the, the regrets and the things I want to do. I mean, it's just, hmm. it's crazy. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I think what I do have to do is kind of figure out how to prioritize. And that's, mm -hmm. that's tough for me. Yeah. So, you, so what's kind of cool is you feel like there's a lot of things you want to do and a lot of things that give you joy. And mm -hmm. that can also lead to, as you get older, maybe I'm hearing a sense of, you know, time is passing by and wanting yeah. to do more yeah. and wanting to do more. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm a person of, of I, I, would, I think it's fair to say, devout Christian faith, grew up in the sort of evangelical world. Um, in recent years, uh, my faith has become sort of deeper. And this is one of the ways, of course, that I deal with all these things. Mm -hmm. um, in many ways, Dan, I assume that this is one of the purposes religion has always served, right, is to help us navigate regret and make sense of it. Religion does a much better job of helping us find our way through negative emotions than secular society does. Yeah, so that's part really of why does. we're starved, right, for this. <laughs> I think about mm. Catholicism. Catholicism has mm. confession, yeah. confession and repentance. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Uh, Judaism has a, a day of atonement. Yes, oh yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, and, um, and yeah. even if you look at something like grief, every religious tradition has ways mm -hmm. to help us yeah. manage grief. Mm -hmm. And if we just equip mm -hmm. people with some very small habits of the heart, we can do a lot better. I wonder if, Dan, if you could have written this book 10 years ago, like, do you think this is partly just where you are in your life? Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah. I, I sort of buy the idea that that to some extent all research is me search, and <laughs> yeah. and I there's no way Amanda I would have written a book about I think it's very unlikely that I would have written a book about regret in my 30s, in my 50s it felt kind of inevitable. But you know, maybe more people should be looking back sooner so they'd have time to adjust their lives based on their regrets. In his book, Dan shares one example of someone who got that chance. There's a possibly apocryphal story about, about Alfred Nobel, who woke up one morning and saw his obituary in the newspaper. The, the headline said, the merchant of death is dead. And he realized like that's how he was going to be remembered, because he was the inventor of, um, of uh, dynamite and other kinds of explosives. Oh, wow. And he used that fear, that anticipation that that's how he was going to be remembered to found the Nobel Prizes. Oh, my gosh. So I'm thinking of a bunch of obituaries that we should publish immediately <laughs> so people can read them before they die. Uh -huh. yeah. That's a great idea. <laughs> Thank you to Courtney for being game to talk about this with us. Hopefully you don't regret it. And to Dan Pink for all of your very tangible advice. Make sure to look for his book, The Power of Regrets. And by the way, we got an update from Courtney. 
two weeks after our talk, um, I am in a much better place. Uh, I have been practicing this early morning, first thing for 15 minutes, three days in a row, which I like that boundary very much. Writing about the regrets that wake me up at 4 a.m. It's sort of like cleaning a window, cleaning away the film. I can, I can see more clearly. Um, yeah, I'm starting to reach out to people little by little. I have a long list of catching up to do. Uh, and I'm using this Glenda the Good Gremlin. She's, she's a very strong voice in my life right now. So anyway, really, thank you. And thank you for reminding me that I don't have to do everything at once. Uh, it was great fun talking with you. Thank you so much, Courtney. We are so glad to hear that you're making progress. We're right there with you. Do you have a regret or another problem that needs solving? Send us a note at howto at slate.com or leave us a voicemail at 646-495-4001. And we might have you on the show. And if you like what you heard today, please give us a rating and a review and tell a friend. That helps us help more people. How To's executive producer is Derek John. Rosemary Belson produces the show. Our theme music is by Hannes Brown, remixed by Mara Jacob, our technical director. Special thanks to Amber Smith and Katie Shepard. Charles Duhigg created this show. I'm Amanda Ripley, the regret gremlin in your head. <laughs>